That was one of my favorite movies when I was growing up. Do you guys have you ever seen that movie Hook? Anyone? Wow, I'm really happy right now because no one knows about that movie and I always quote it all the time. I'm really glad you guys know that. But um, Hook is one of my top three favorite movies ever. I'll give you guys my top three real quick. It's number one is The Dark Knight, right? Number two is um, Home Alone, the first one. You got to go with the OG one. And three is Hook. And I want to tell you the reason why I loved Home Alone so much is because when I was younger, I really, really wanted to be a lost boy. I mean, how sick would it be just to hang out with Rufio all day long, to fight pirates? I mean, there was no parents. There was no rules. All day, you would just spend hanging out with your friends. You know, in the movie, when he's like, Peter, you're doing it. And he's imagining the food right there. Imagine eating that food all the time and every night. That would just be so awesome. And, and I've spent much of my uh, younger life wishing that I could be a lost boy because I just felt like it was great. There was no rules that they had to live by. They could just do whatever they wanted. And I even like the younger one. You guys, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen the one, the Disney one, right? I really like it. No, not, no one's seen the Disney one, really? All right, let me tell you. Well, the Disney one, the, the kids were much younger. And they got to wear, like, these cool onesie pajamas all day long. And they were, like, animal-shaped. And, if my, I, and I always thought mine would be a stallion. Like, mine would just be a stallion-shaped. And I would just hang out with these guys all day long. And we would fight pirates. And we would save Indian princesses. And it would be awesome. And Wendy would tell us bed stories before we went to bed. I just, like, that would just be such an awesome life to be a lost boy. I just thought that would just be the best way to live. And I actually have a picture for you guys just to prove to you that I'm not lying. You guys can put up that first picture. Yes, that is me right there all the way in the corner. And then that is my Indian princess all the way on the side. I'm sorry, Jess. But at the time, that was my Indian princess. You can put up the next one. I'm Peter Pan. You guys don't recognize that? Are you supposed to get that? That was I thought that was obvious. I'm wearing tights, for gosh sakes. This is me in tights right there. That's me, guys. I was obsessed with being Peter Pan. I wanted to be that lost boy, and I wanted to live that way. And so you guys got a little picture of that. Um, and one day I got into a fight with my mom when I was around Doug's son, Doug's son's age, Cade, probably around nine years old, and I got a fight with my mom. And when I got into this fight, I told her that I'm leaving. I'm going to be a lost boy. And my mom looked at me and said something that I will never forget. She said, you came into this world naked and you will leave this world naked. And so she took the clothes off my back and she threw me out of my house in just my underwear. And, and I decided, you know what? I don't care. I'm a lost boy. I do what I want. And so I did it and I walked around. I'll never forget. I walked around my block in my underwear because I'm a boss. And I just did that. And I'm really glad no one called the cops on me because I was nine years old. And I guess that's a little weird. And so I walked around my house. And after a while, I'm like, all right, this is boring. So I had a jungle gym in the back of my house. And so I snuck back into my backyard. And I went up into the jungle gym, and, and I was really clever. I made, like, some sort of blanket out of leaves up in my jungle gym, and I was all set up in there. And I made a little, like, a whole little hangout where I was going to live, and I was going to find other lost boys, and we were all going to live together up there in my jungle gym. It was, it was a great plan until it started to get dark. And here's what happened. When it got like, around, like, 8 o'clock, Man, it started to get scary. The darkness like plays jokes on your mind. I swore I started to hear things. Things were moving all over the place. And I started to get really scared. And suddenly, the blanket I made out of leaves wasn't keeping me so warm anymore. And I was starting to get really cold. Don't forget, I'm just out there in just my underwear. And now I'm starting to get really hungry because it's been a whole day now. And so after a while, I came to my senses. And I finally realized that this is a dumb idea to run away, that this is not a good idea. And so I went back and I apologized to my mom. And that night I was able to eat dinner with my family. That night I was able to sleep in a nice comfy bed, all because I was willing to accept my mom's rules. 
And, and I think the reason why I got into that fight is because I wanted to eat ice cream for lunch, and she was not having it. And so I said, Mom, you know what? No ice cream for lunch. I'll do whatever you say as long as I don't have to live in my underwear. And so that worked out well. And so I'm sure a lot of us in this room tonight have stories like that. I, I know I, most people I talk to always have a funny story of how they ran away from their parents when they were younger. And I was thinking about why is it that we run away? And the number one thing that I think causes us to run away, it was, it was, at least it was the number one thing for me, and I think it is for a lot of people, is that we don't like the rules. We have a hard time listening to rules in our life. Whether for you it was that you were like me and you weren't able to eat ice cream for lunch or you couldn't stay up till 9.30. When you were a young kid, 9.30 is like the latest ever. You're like, I'm staying up till 9.30. This is awesome. I remember that. 9.30 was epic. And, or whatever it was, or you couldn't hang out with your friends all the time, or when you came home, you had to do your schoolwork right away. Whatever it is that you didn't like the rules, and so that's why you, you ran away. And the question I want to really ask you guys tonight is, have you ever felt like running away from God? Have you ever felt like all that there is to Christianity is rules? That it's just this long list of things that you can do and that you can't do. Do you ever feel like that God is just a big bully up in heaven telling us about all the things that we can't do? If I was honest with you guys, I felt like that at times in my life. And I feel like God is just stopping us to have fun. But tonight we're going to look at a story in a little while of someone who felt just like we did. But you know, it doesn't seem like that. There's all these rules in Christianity that are stopping us from having fun. Like, why is it that we can't go out and party and drink with our friends? That seems like it would be so much fun. Or why is it that we can't have sex with our boyfriends or girlfriends? Why is it? Why are all these rules? Why can't we gossip? Why can't we lie? Et cetera, et cetera. Whatever it is, there's so many rules that we have. Why is it that we can't do these things? And tonight, we're going to look at it and find out why we can't do these things and why it's so important. And you know, there's times in my life, and maybe you're here tonight and you would say, you know what, Joey, I've, I felt that way about Christianity. And you know what, I walked away. And I'm not really even here tonight. I'm just here to hang out with my friends. And, uh, and that's the only reason I'm really here. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you're new to this Christian thing. Maybe you've never been in a church before. And you say, I don't really get this whole God thing. How come I can't do these things? And tonight we're going to look at that and start to understand what this whole thing is really all about. And so... Like I said, we have a hard time with rules. And when I was, when I was a teenager especially, I, I had a really, really hard time with rules. I had a saying in high school, whenever someone asked me what I was doing, I'd say, I do what I want and I want what I do. And I used to say that all the time. That was one of my fav- famous lines, I do what I want. Um, I, I guess a couple, of years, uh, a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation here with Panda and, and Jess Reichenbach, two of our leaders there. Not here tonight, Panda's not at least. And... Um, they asked me, what kind of animal would, animal would you be? And I said, I would definitely be a stallion. You know what I mean? You know what? I, I just picture myself as like, no one tells me what to do. I, I, just, I just picture like this horse in this big green field just running with like its hair swinging in the air. And he's just running down this hill. And he's just ahead of all the other horses, just being so manly. And I figured that's the kind of animal I would be, right? When you say that, I was joking with Doug and Ryan a couple of weeks ago at Chili's. And, and they, we were talking about what we would have on our gravestones. And I said this, and said, here lies Joey, a man who lived like a stallion among ponies. Now, that's what I want my grave to say. Is here lies Joey. And it's because I had a hard time with rules. And I think a lot of us have that hard time with rules. And the guy that we're going to look at tonight in this story, I believe that he had a hard time dealing with his father's rules. And so tonight we're going to look at Luke 15. 
And tonight, Jesus is going to tell us a parable in Luke 15. And what a parable was, it was a story that revealed a deep truth. And that's what this story is going to be about. But before I get to that story, I want to let you guys know what's at stake tonight. Because if you guys listen to what I have to say tonight, more importantly, if you listen to what Jesus has to say in this parable, you will save yourself a lot of heartache. You will save yourself from a lot of pain. You will save yourself from being in a really low place in life. And it's so important that you guys listen to what Jesus is trying to get across tonight because it's really important and it's really powerful. And so tonight we're going to look at these verses and look at this story. So if you guys can look with me in verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estates. So he divided his property between them. Um, I don't know if you guys know much about um, inheritance, but that's what basically this guy is asking for right now. And usually you get your inheritance after that person dies. It's like something that happens afterwards. But this son asked for it right here up front. He goes, Dad, I want my share of what is yours right now. And this is what this son was saying. The son was saying, Dad, you're dead to me. Because that's what happens. You get the inheritance after someone is dead. And he's saying, Dad, you mean nothing to me no more. You're dead to me. I'm walking out, and I want my share of the inheritance. And so this was a really bold and big thing that this son says to his father. He says, Dad, I'm done with you, and I'm done with your rules. I'm done with living in your house, and now I'm moving on. And so we'll see what happens. The father gives him the share of the inheritance, and this is what happens in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. So the Bible doesn't say how much the son got. But when I picture this story, I picture that the father lived on a really, really big estate. I feel like that the father was really wealthy. I feel like they lived in a really big mansion. And so I feel like this son didn't get a small share, that he got a lot of money at this time. And so he goes off into this distant land, and, he, and the Bible says that he begins to start partying and living wild. We don't know exactly what he was doing. We're going to find out in a couple of verses, uh, specifically one of the things that he was doing, but we don't know yet. But we, all we know is that he was living wildly. And you know what, guys? He was pro- you name it, he was probably doing it. He was probably had all the women he wanted. He was probably partying all the time. He was probably drinking. He was probably doing anything that he could. And you see, you know why I think it's so important that we talk about how much money he got or we think about it? It's because I don't think he squandered this money like in two weeks. I really don't believe that. The story doesn't necessarily go into that. It doesn't tell us how long it was. But what I believe when I look at this story is I think it was a long time. I I think it was like maybe six months to a year that he was living like this. And he was having a great time. He got everything that he wanted. And here's what I think, guys. I think he really was having a great time. He was enjoying the partying and he was enjoying the drinking. And it was really good for this season in his life. And he was happy. And I'm sure at night he would say, I'm so glad I got away from my dad. This is so satisfying. This is so great. And he was living it up. And he was having a great time because of this. And so, like I said, he was doing all kinds of things in this wild living. He was doing everything that he knew was wrong, everything his father told him not to do. 
he was doing in this time. And he's having a great time and he got everything that he wanted. Let's go to verse 14 and find out what happens next. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So now we find out that he spent all his living. He's done with all of his money. It's all run off, and now a famine has hit the land. And you know what? He was having a great time, like we were saying in that verse before. He was really enjoying his wild living. And all of a sudden, all the pleasure is run up. And maybe some of you guys would say, you know, Joey, I, I walked away from God for a little bit, and it was a great time. But in the end, it left me really empty. It left me feeling like I had nothing. And eventually, that satisfaction that I was getting from drinking, that satisfaction I was getting from partying, that satisfaction I was getting from having sex, it ran up after a while. And all the pleasure was gone. And that's what I believe happens to this son right here. Once he squanders it all up. And the Bible says that a famine hits the land. And suddenly he has no money left, and now there's a famine, so there's not that much food around in the land. And so he's desperate for a job. He's looking anywhere he can go to find work and so he can eat. And so the Bible says he went and he worked with the pigs. Someone hired him to work with the pigs. And so what you guys need to understand about this is that this was a really, really low position. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than working with the pigs. They were smelly and they were nasty. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to Hoyt Farm, but there is this pig there that smells so stinking bad that if you walk in like 10 miles of it, you can smell this thing. And it's, it's disgusting. And you look at the, like the pile of filth that it lives in, it's gross. This is what this guy was doing. He was in that pen working with those pigs. And that was looked at as a really, really low job. And this guy, he went from having so much money and so much wealth, suddenly has nothing. He's living with the pigs now. The Bible says that he's so hungry that he's starving at this point because no one will even give him food, that he's desperate to even eat what the pigs are eating. Now, I don't know if you guys know what pigs eat, but it's called slop. And this guy wants to eat slop. That's how hungry he is. He's desperate at this point. Would you guys say that maybe since you ran away from God and you started living for all those other things and that you feel like you're at a really low point, that you feel like that this is where it's got you, living for all these things that you know won't satisfy. You feel like you're at the bottom right there with this guy and this, with this son in the story. Because I know in the time in my life where I decided to run away and break those rules, that I felt just like that son. I felt like I was at the lowest of low, that I was at the bottom. I felt like I had no value. I felt like I had no worth. And I think that's exactly how the son feels in this story. He's a, considered a, he's probably considered, sees himself as such a low life at this point. And it's all because of his decision to leave. And so let's go on to the next verse. And, and I love this verse. This is, this is one of my favorite verses in all this. When he came to his senses, the Bible says, when he came to his senses, when he finally realized that the girls weren't going to satisfy him, that the guys, that, that these relationships weren't going to satisfy him anymore. 
when he finally realized that the drinking wasn't going to fill that emptiness in his heart, when the partying wasn't going to make him feel any better about himself, when he finally comes to his senses and he realizes that all these things are empty, he finally gets it, guys. It finally clicks in his head. He finally understands why his father lived the way he did and had the rules he did. He finally gets it. It clicks. And let's read what else this verse says. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. And heaven, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so right here, what I think the son is doing is... He's starting to build up a speech so when he gets back to his dad, because he knows when he gets back to his dad, his dad's not going to be happy. He told his dad that he was dead to him. He made a lot of bad decisions, and he burned a lot of bridges. And so he starts to build up this that he's going to say to his dad. I know that's true with me. When I do something wrong, wrong or when I was younger, I would always try and build up a good speech so that after, when I would come to them and tell them I'm sorry because I did this, that I would have a good speech so they would so they wouldn't be as mad and we can move on quicker. And so that's kind of what this son does. He builds a speech. He says, he's going to go to his dad and say, Dad, I'm sorry I sinned against you in heaven. You don't even have to take me back as your son. Just make me a servant. You can just put me there in the lowest of low. I know I messed up. Just let me be there. And I feel like as he sets back to go to his father, he's practicing this message over and over. He's, he's got in his head. He knows exactly what he's going to say to his father. And then we go to verse 20, and this is what it says. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And I love that verse too. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now what does that mean? Usually, I'm sure most of your dads work and they're busy during the day and they have a lot going on and when they're home, they're working at the house and they're doing things. But this father sees him from a long way off. And you know what I think that means? I think that that father was waiting outside for his son. I feel like, and the Bible doesn't say this, so this is my opinion, what I believe, but I feel like that father was sitting on that porch every day praying that his son would come home, saying that this, I hope that this is the day that he finally comes home, that my son will realize what he's doing. And he's sitting out there and he's waiting. And guys, tonight, God is sitting on the porch waiting for some of you tonight. He's waiting for some of you to come back. He's sitting on the porch saying, I hope that this is the day that they come to their senses and come back to me. I miss them so much. I long for them. And that's what I think that this father is doing because he loves his son. He never stops loving his son. And he's sitting out there on the porch going, I hope that this is the day that he finally comes back. Let's go to the, and he was filled, next verse. And he was filled with compassion for his son and he ran to his son. Let's stop right there. Now, let's, we get it from the father's view right here, but let's take it from the son's view for a second. So if I'm the son right there and I see my dad running at me right now, I'm getting a little scared. I'm like, my dad is about to beat me up. I really messed things up. He's about to knock me out. This is going to be ugly. And so now if I'm the son, I'm getting a little scared because I feel like he's about to beat me up. I don't know about you, but that's what I would think. And those would be my first thoughts. But we see that but we see, but we know from the father's view that that's not true at all, that he's filled with compassion. But I'm sure the son is starting to get a little bit nervous right now. And I'm sure some of you might feel like that right now. You say, Joey, I walked away from God. I'm done with this stuff. I don't want, 
I'm scared to come back because I feel like God's going to be angry at me. I feel like he's going to remember all the things I did wrong and all the ways that I messed up. And we're going to see how that is just not true, guys. Don't believe that lie that the enemy would love to put into your hearts tonight. And this is what happens. His arms come around him and he kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So the father runs to his son out there and he grabs him and he gives him a kiss. Doesn't say anything to him. He just gives him a kiss. And then the son comes back and he says that thing that he has been reciting all along, the thing that he was thinking of, what he knew he was going to say to his father. But all his father does is kiss him. And I want to just read to you guys real quick a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who was was an amazing preacher, an amazing man of God. And uh, this is what his commentary has to say about this portion of scripture right here. It's not on the screen, so just follow along with me. His much kissing meant much forgiveness. The prodigal had many sins to confess, but before he came to the details of him, his father had forgiven him. I love confession of sin after forgiveness. Some suppose that we are forgiven, we are never to confess. But, oh, beloved, it is then that we confess most truly because we know the guilt of sin most really. To think that Christ should have washed me from my sins in his own blood makes me feel my sin the more keenly and confess it more humbly before God. The picture of this prodigal is marvelously true to the experience of those who return to God. His father kissed him and the kiss of forgiveness. And yet after that, the young man went on to the father, say, I've sinned against you and before thee and am no more worthy to be called a son. Do not hesitate then to acknowledge your sin to God, even though you know that Christ has dealt with it anyway. That kiss that the father gave him was forgiveness. And there is forgiveness for those of you tonight who have walked away in Christ. There is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus tonight. Jesus has already dealt with it, but Spurgeon tells us something amazing. He says that just because Jesus has washed away our sins, just because he has already dealt it, doesn't mean that we don't confess it. He says that when we, when we do it, even though we know it's washed away, we know how much greater God's payment is of it. We realize the depth of it. And that's why it's still important that we confess our sins to God after we did it. He got the kiss before he even said anything, before he apologized. There is that, and there's that forgiveness for us tonight. But it's so important that we confess that. And I know that's a little bit sidetracked, but I just thought that was so important that we know that tonight. There's a little bit of theological uh, importance to that. And so this father kisses him and forgives him. And you know what? We don't hear another word from this son after this. From now on, we don't hear another sentence from him in the rest of these scriptures. And you know why? Because I think that the son breaks down at this point. Have you ever been forgiven of something that you didn't deserve to be forgiven of? Doesn't it just make you just want to break down? Doesn't it just make you want to cry? Has ever someone done something so great for you that you just began to cry a little bit? Well, I think that's what this son is. I think the son just breaks down a little bit right here. He doesn't even know what to say. Oh, his, his father kisses him, forgives him, doesn't say anything, wraps his arms around him after all he did. It's amazing. We go to the next verse and see what else the father does for his son. 
But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is, and is alive. He was lost and now he is found. And this father doesn't only give him a kiss. He doesn't only give him a hug. But now he gets the best robe for him. He gets a huge ring. He kills the best calf. All in celebration that he, the son has returned. Guys, all because he's back. And you know, you have to remember that at this point, he hasn't even taken a bath yet. He's still dirty at this point. He still probably smells like the pigs he was working for. He was still probably a mess. And yet the father still kisses him in his sin, in his messed upness. The father still accepts him. And he doesn't only accept him, but he gives him the best of everything he has. When I was studying for this message, the first thing I looked up was the word prodigal because I wasn't really sure what it meant. And, and of course, when I first read it, I thought it meant um, someone who disobeys or someone who abandons or someone who leaves or something like that. But you know what? That's not what it means at all. And I was so shocked when, when I came to what it means. And I just want to read to you guys the definition of prodigal. It means this, spending money or resources freely, recklessly, wastefully, and extravagantly. And you know what? The son very much is a prodigal. He definitely, he definitely recklessly loses the money. And he definitely sp- spends it abundantly. He definitely does all these things. But you know what I think, guys? When, when, I, when I was reading that last verse, I think the father is just as much of a, of a prodigal. The father is getting the best stuff. He's spending everything he has in that moment. He gets the best robe he has. He gets a diamond ring. He kills the best calf they have. He spends it all on the son. His spending is reckless. It's extravagant on this son in this moment. And see, so you know what that is a picture of, guys? That's a picture of God's grace. That is God's grace at work in our life. God's grace is reckless. It's extravagant for you tonight. It's that, un, it's that unearned merit that God gives us tonight. And it's so great and it's so wide that even though we mess up, still there is that amazing forgiveness there. And so I, I, you know in the Bible that they didn't actually name these stories. But I, you, know, you know what I, what I think the name of this story should be? I think it should be the prodigal son and the prodigal father. Because, you know, the son goes out and he spends all this money and he wastes and he blows it all. But you know when he gets back, the father spends so much on him in that moment. And that's how God's grace is for us tonight. It's for us tonight, guys. It's that unfavored, it's that, uh, this, this amazing gift to us tonight. And it's so amazing and it's so much deeper and it's so much wider than we can understand tonight. And it's so, so amazing. And so they have this great party and they're getting up and they're getting set for this party. And these next verses that we're about to read are really important for those of us who would say tonight, you know what, Joy, this, is, this has been a, a cool message. It's cool to learn about the prodigal son, but I'm not really someone who walked away from God. Well, these next verses are for us tonight. And we're going to learn something really powerful, something really deep in these next uh, couple of verses. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother came angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And so right now, the older brother is bitter. The older brother is angry right now. He says, you know what? I don't understand, Dad. I, I was here all along. I was here by your side. I didn't leave. I didn't take your inheritance. I didn't say you're a debt for me. How can you forgive this son who spit in your face, who walked away from you, who took your money, and now you're doing all this for him? I was here all along, and you never even threw a party for me. You never celebrated like that for me. And the father's response is so amazing. He says this to his son. He doesn't, he doesn't answer in anger. or in, He answers him very calmly. He says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and, in the, and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And the verse we need to focus in is everything I have is yours. And see, here's what I want you guys to get and say, you know what, Joey, I haven't walked away. The same grace that covers the brother, the younger brother who walked away, is for the older brother who stayed, who stayed there. That grace is always saving the brother who stayed by the father's side. It's continually saving the brother every day. And those of us who say, you know what, I'm always with God. Here's what I want you to walk away with tonight. Here's what I want you to understand is that God's grace is always saving us. And that's why we celebrate it. That same grace for the younger son is for the older son. See, we even see that the older son needs it because he's deeply flawed. He shows us three traits that are, that are, are, are clearly sins. He shows pride. He says, Dad, I, I was the good son. I was the best one. I stayed by your side. He shows anger. He's mad that his dad is doing this. And he shows jealousy. He's jealous that his brother is getting this attention. And so that we see that the brother is deeply flawed as well. And the father goes, everything I have is yours, which means that his grace is for him too. And that grace was always saving the older brother too. And it's the same grace that saves the younger brother. This is what I want you guys to get tonight. Is that God's grace is always saving us in this room. It's always washing us clean. It's so amazing. It's this unearned favor that we get from God that we don't deserve. And it's so amazing. So let me talk to the two groups first. Let me talk to some of you guys tonight who would say, you know what, Joey, I, I walked away and, I, and I've been a prodigal for a little while. I want you to know that God is waiting on the porch. He's waiting for you to come home. He can't wait to see you come walking down that road tonight. He's waiting for you. He wants to throw a robe on you. He wants to put a ring on your finger. There is no condemnation. There's no anger. There is grace for you tonight. There is forgiveness. And those of you who stayed by the Father's side, that's awesome. But love grace tonight because it's always saving you. Because we're flawed too, even though we don't walk away from the Father. He forgives us every single time. He fights for us and he loves us. It's so important we get that tonight. 
And so I'm going to ask if the band will just come up as I just, just close this a little bit. I want you guys just to think about for a second about who is telling this story. Because Jesus is the one who's telling this story. And you know what? He would pay a great price one day so that we could receive this amazing grace. This grace that washes us free. This grace that forgives us. See, it, it didn't just come to us. There was a price that had to be paid. You know, maybe some of you are sitting out here today and you're saying, you know what, Joey, that sounds good, but it just sounds too easy to be true. You know what, I'm not t- it wasn't too easy to be true. There was a great price that was paid for that. There was a lot of sacrifice. But you know what, Jesus thought it was worth it because he loved you so much. He cared for you so much that he was willing to die for you that he washed away your sins on that cross, that everything that you would do wrong would be nailed with him that day. It would be forgiven and it would be set free. Man, that is the love of the Father. That is his grace for you tonight that forgives us. So I just pray tonight that some of you would come home tonight. Some of you would get things right. Some of you would would take this to heart tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your grace tonight, Jesus, that covers us and washes us free, that sets free everything we've done in our past, that wipes away every wrong thing we've done from the east from the west. God, that gives us a chance of new life and hope tonight, God. We're just so thankful for you tonight, Jesus, and all that you've done and all that you've paid for us, God. Pray, God, that we would know this in a deeper way, Lord God. Let us know that your grace is continually saving us, God. It's continually working in our lives. Every day, God, your mercies are new. Let us see that, God. Maybe tonight you would say, you know, Joey, I've never really made that decision to become a Christian before. I've never taken that step. Well, tonight, I, I just want to give you an, an opportunity just to pray this prayer along with me. And it's it's nothing extravagant. It's nothing uh, complicated. It's just a simple prayer to God. You say, say this, just say it with me. You can say it silently. Jesus, I've realized that you're my savior. That you died for me. That I don't understand it all right now. But here's what I know is that your love is real. And I would like to accept you into my heart today. To know you as my personal savior to begin this walk and to know your grace, to know your love and to know your forgiveness. Amen. If you prayed that prayer tonight, I just want to encourage you just to just to talk to someone tonight. We're going to have our prayer team up here and I would love for you just to talk to them tonight. They can give you more answers and more help if you need it. But tonight, no. God's grace is always saving.